Welcome back to the Coach and Kernan Podcast Network. I'm Dave D'Agostino, and I'm here with the stars of our one of our favorite shows on the network, A Day at the Yard, Common Sense Pitching with Wiley and Will. It's episode 73 for Coach and Kernan's network, but installment number eight for our pitching segment here. Uh, Mark and Will, welcome back to your show. You're the stars of the show right here, and we have a great guest today. Um, Mark, I'll let you uh, introduce our guest. Yeah, tonight today is going to be Mike Paul, longtime player, coach, and and front office scout, a lot of different things. Um, you'll hear it here when I read his bio. You know, I always like to start with a quote or finish with a quote. I'm going to start with a quote to give you a little background on, you know, who Mike is. Um, the quote is from Thomas Edison. So there's three great essentials to achieve success. Number one's hard work. Number two is stick to And number three is common sense. And I think by the time I finish with Mike's bio, you're going to realize that he possesses all three of these. Um, Mike was in professional baseball for, I guess, 53 years, 15 as a player. Uh, he started his career in, at uh, Pope Pius X High School. In 1962, he was MVP of the school. He moved on to Cerritos Junior College, where he was undefeated and became MVP of the conference. Uh, then he got a scholarship to the University of Arizona, where he pitched two years and pitched him to the College World Series. Uh, in 1967, he was selected in the 20th round uh, out of the University of Arizona by the Cleveland Indians. He was... Uh, which is surprising to me because of the success he had as a young player. And uh, they didn't have radar guns back then, so I don't know what the scouts were doing, but they should have recognized it. Um, he pitched uh, He pitched in the big leagues. He, he, to show you another thing is, is he got drafted in 67. He was in the big leagues by 68, which is almost unheard of. He pitched for Cleveland from 68 to 71, Chicago Cubs, 74 75, I guess it is, and 72 to 73 for the Texas Rangers. Um, totally, he pitched 627 innings in the major leagues as a starter and reliever. He was fortunate enough to play for two managers that were Hall of Famers, Ted Williams and Whitey Herzog. Uh, in 1976 was the last year that he played in the States. Then he went to, uh, uh, then he went to Mexico. I want to give you a couple of his highlights pitching in the big leagues. In 1972, uh, he had the lowest home run percentage in the major leagues, I mean, in the American League. Uh, and also in 72, he had a 2.17 earned run average in 162 innings pitched. And Louis Tiant won it with a 1.91. So Mike was definitely one of the finalists of the ERA title in 72. From 72, Seven to 82, Mike went to Mexico to play. He's one of the leading all-time winners in Mexico. Um, I think he's being considered to move into the Hall of Fame uh, shortly in Mexico. Uh, while in Mexico, uh, in the regular season, he also played winter ball each season. He, uh, Who knows how many innings Mike really has. Uh, my research came up with 1,894, but I think it's closer to 3,000 innings when you consider, you know, regular season playoffs and winter ball. Uh, amazing, amazing how long he pitched. 
Then he became a coach in 1983 to 86. He was a minor league pitching coach for the Padres and Milwaukee Brewers, 87 to 88. He was the bullpen coach for the Oakland A's in 89 to 91. He was the pitching coach for the Seattle Mariners in 92 to 94. He returned to Oakland as a bench coach and advanced scout. In, uh, he had a career after that as an advanced scout uh, with the Texas Rangers from 95 to 2001. 2002, he was with the Cubs. Don Baylor hired him uh, in 2003 and four. Bob Brenly hired him for the, the Arizona Diamondbacks. And in 19 in 2005, uh, the Washington Nationals, Frank Robinson, Hall of Famer, hired Mike to be the advanced guy. Um, until from 95, I mean, from 2006 till retirement, which was 14 years, the last 14 years, Mike spent, uh, spent with the Colorado Rockies as a pro scout. Um, Welcome to the show, Mike. It took a, a lot of a lot of air to, to to explain all the things you did in your career. Mark, thank you very much. Yeah, that was uh, quite a journey, fifty three years worth. Uh, covered a lot of time and a lot of land because I was in different uh, Venezuela, Puerto Rico, the Dominican, and in Mexico, and then in the United States as well. So it was a good journey. Well, the one thing I know after being your roommate in in, uh, in Mexico, he speaks Spanish better than most Mexican guys do. One of them. I, I, I get that a lot. Remember that the own the owner of our team in Tijuana used to say Mike speaks better Spanish than I do. <laughs> I get that yeah, a lot. Mike, yeah, I, I learned a new language for sure. Yeah, I mean, he does it with a dialect. I mean, it's it, with an accent. It's amazing. Um, it was good to have you as my roommate. I always got good food and always got to where I needed to get. <laughs> Very true. Um, I was an interpreter, yes. You know, your career was so long. You pitched so many innings. Um, you know, just the first question that comes to mind is, is what helped you stay healthy for all those years by pitching year-round? Because you pitched summer league and then you'd pitch winter league. It's amazing. Yeah, you know, Mark, I, I think probably number one is I had a pretty consistent, clean delivery, which allowed my arm to work in the same slot, pitch after pitch, year after year. So I think that's the biggest thing. I My delivery really kept me going. Well, I remember when we were – when we were playing winter ball and we, you know, we had a pitching coach, but the pitching coach didn't do too much. And we were probably as experienced as he was. Um, but I remember that, uh, that we used to take the guys and they'd we'd run them and they'd be running with us. So they do all the things that we did conditioning wise. And I think, uh, I know that the ownership was appreciative of that, especially in winter league where guys kind of don't take it as serious. Sometimes I think you're, your presence, uh, being a star in the Mexican league, um, and people respected you. And I think the players, you know, they tried to emulate you as a, as a professional. And I think that was, you know, that's one thing I saw firsthand. Yeah. You know, Mark, uh, when I got to Mexico, I was 31 years old. So I was a veteran guy coming down there. And as far as 
I would do what I needed to do, just like I did in the States. I would try and condition myself the same way as when I was in the States, because it worked for me. And a lot of the young pitchers, they would see that, and uh, they would emulate me as far as that. And during the summer, uh, a couple of years I was in Juarez, we had a little left-hander that hardly ever pitched. His name was Teddy Niguera. And he used to watch me warm up, and he used to watch me throw bullpens. And then he would see how I ran in between starts. And he told me this later on. He said, you know, Mike, he says, I, I watched what you did, and I tried to do it. And obviously, Teddy had a little bit better success than I did in the big leagues. Good. But, yeah, I mean, it was just a work ethic. And he saw that, and he, he tried to emulate it. And he, he told me that years, years later on. So, yeah. No, you never, you never know who's watching you. You know the young kids. Uh, you know Teddy Higuera was during my years of coaching, and you too. He was one of the premier pitchers in the major leagues, not only left-handed but just overall. He was pretty amazing. He was, and he wasn't a real big guy, but he achieved really good leverage because he stayed balanced over, you know, over the mound. Yeah, again, Teddy had a nice – yeah, he was only about 5'10", five, 5'11", five, stocky, but he had um, a, a good, clean delivery. And he was very strong for his age and for his body type. So, yeah, I kept him around a long time. He lives in uh, Los Mochis, Sinaloa, Mexico. Oh, okay. Yeah, you know that place. Yep, I know that place. Um, <laughs> okay, let me, let's, let's shift gears a little bit. Who – who do you feel was your biggest influence during your playing career? And then after that was over, you know, uh, you know, how did you generate your philosophy as a teacher? You know, uh, probably I have to go back to my two, uh, uh, my junior college coach, Wally Kincaid, and then Frank Sanset, uh, the coach with the University of Arizona, both of which are in the Collegiate Hall of Fame as coaches. Uh, Wally Kincaid really stressed fundamentals and discipline. We were a disciplined ball club. There was no goofing around. We played baseball and we did it correctly or you didn't play. And then Frank gave me a chance to uh, come to Arizona on a full ride scholarship, which meant a lot to me because didn't have a lot of money. So, And it was a good baseball school. So he was uh, gracious enough to give me a two-year full ride scholarship. So coming out of California, that was huge. And then on, you know, um, in the big leagues, Probably uh, Jack Sanford, my first pitching coach, kind of worked with me on redeveloping a curveball and a changeup. And that seemed to help because it spread out my velocities from my fastball. And uh, playing for Ted Williams and uh, Whitey Herzog was a treat. Ted was a, a, a guy that really, um, how should I say it? Uh, didn't like pitchers, but he pitched them a lot. <laughs> he was always running through pitchers right and left as far as relievers. And I relieved for him quite a bit. So I got to pitch a lot. And the thing about Woody Herzog, I was a starting pitcher to start the season, and then I wasn't going very well, and I ended up in the bullpen. But the thing about Woody Herzog, he treated me the same, whether I was his number two starter or I was the last guy in the bullpen. So I took those things into my coaching career, and I made it a point to every day talk to every pitcher, whether they were going good or bad or whatever, the relievers, 
because Bob Cluck, one of my uh, mentors, he told me, he said, listen, talk to every one of those guys every day, because if you don't talk to them, they think they did something bad or you don't like them. But if you just go up and say, hello, how's everything going? That puts their mind at ease. So that, that was a big plus for me just to carry those things over into my coaching career. No, that's, that's, a, that's a really good tip. I, I learned a similar one. I used to do my rounds during batting practice to every pitcher in the outfield, see how they were doing. Because, you know, it's amazing, you know, the perspective, you know, you have about a guy. You think he's fine. He's been doing well. Well, if he had one bad outing, some of the guys think you don't like him if you don't talk to him, even though they may be your favorite guy. <laughs> you know, you don't know what a player's thinking, so it's always good to make a contact with them every day, be positive. And I used to spend more time with my guys that were having trouble. And I always felt it had, it had an influence on my better guys, too, because many of those guys are their best friends. You know, a lot of times you have the last guy on the team is the best friend of the star on the team. And so when the star sees you spending time with his friend and and giving him, you know, instruction and working with him to get him better, I think it helps the relationship of the other guy. Absolutely, Mark. You hit it right on the button. That's good. You know, well, go ahead. No, I just wanted to weigh in. I um, signed with the Padres late in 82. I was on an independent team and – went to spring training and that's where I first met Mike and he did what exactly what he said. He spent time with everybody. Uh, he was a pitching coach in Reno, I believe. And I worked out with the team there uh, all spring long and I ended up not breaking with them. I ended up down in Miami that year, but um, that's where I first met Mike. And, you know, Mark and I talk about it all the time. And, you know, you talked about his work ethic, his makeup and all the things that made Mike a great pitcher and a great coach and a great scout and all the other things. You know, Mark, we always talk about we're amazed when somebody hires somebody with bad makeup to coach or to <laughs> scout. And you go, well, why would they hire that guy? He was kind of a jackass, you know. I mean, like, you know, any advice to anybody who's hiring coaches, hire guys with good makeup because you're going to have people that are truly going to impact your players the way Mike did for me as a young pitcher at that time trying to stay in baseball. And then I remember when I went out and started scouting and I ran into Mike and, you know, he remembered me and he talked to me and he was advanced scouting and I was just starting to do major league coverage. You know, that is so lost in our game now where people don't have those relationships. And that's what I'm so grateful for, to have a couple guys like you in my life. Well, thank you. You you know, it's it's a, you know, baseball is a funny thing. You know, you see people get jobs like we've talked about before and you want to know how they got them. Um, And I realize it's, it's probably more that the, the people hiring them don't have a good network because they don't have anybody they can call to right. say, Hey, what do you got on this guy? Because, you know, if I was going to give advice to a, to a front office guy that doesn't have a lot of on field experience, I would say you better surround yourself with good people. You trust that have been in the game, been on the field, no, go, no players, no coaches. Um, so you can make better decisions when you hire. And I think that's sometimes is a problem. Yeah. 
you know, go ahead, guys. You know, it goes it goes around. <clears throat> what goes around comes around. Uh, I was with Tony LaRusso in spring training with the Cubbies in 74. I broke with the Cubs, later got released, but Tony was traded to uh, Pittsburgh and he was in AAA. But we had a good relationship in spring training, just two guys talking baseball. And I had never met Tony before. I faced him before in the minor leagues, but we seemed to get along good. We were the same age and and we had a lot of things in common. And, you know, uh, the ne- in the next decade, he hires me as his uh, bullpen coach because we had a relationship together. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, that's exactly that's, right. That's how you hire the right people. Um, okay, let's, let's sh- shift gears here. And, uh, you know, there's been a lot of changes in baseball, Mike, over your 53 years. Um what are some of them that you really disagree with or, or surprised happened and maybe some that you feel are probably a good thing? Well, Mark and Will, you know what I'm going to talk about. And I was, I would say you guys know what's coming. Uh, I was uh, a professional scout, major league scout for uh, 14 years, the last 14 of my life in baseball. And I was the last four or five, I would uh, go down to low A baseball, Midwest League, and then go work up to A ball in the California League, then double A, triple A, and back to the big leagues. And I would go into uh, the Midwest League and I would see all these young guys, 18, 19, 20 maybe. And I'd look at the pitchers and I kind of honed in on pitching, obviously. And I'm looking at most of them and they all had like 75 pitch limit per per start. And I go, okay, I, I can deal with that. They're young boys and everything else. So 75 pitches in whatever inning it was, you came out of the game. I go, oh, well, that's okay to a point. And then in the California League, it seemed like 75, 80 pitches was the max that these guys were throwing. And then they were coming out of the game. And it got up to double A, and it was like 90 pitches. And I'm going on one example, Tommy Hunter, a veteran guy. He was with uh, Texas to begin with. He was throwing a ball game. He went six innings. He had 90 pitches, three hitter, no walks, no runs, about nine punch outs. And uh, then they had a little left-hander, and I can't remember his name. But both those guys were in the stands charting. And I I went by and I told uh, Tommy Hunter, I said, hey, Tommy, nice game the other night. You look good. He says, thank you. I says, do you think you could have got lo- gone a lot longer? And he goes, why, hell yes. I could But they shut him off at 90 pitches. Okay, the kid next to it. I said, what's your pitch limit? He's about 95, maybe 100. And this little lefty was a high draft choice. And I said, young man, he was 5'11", about 190 pounds, left-hander. I said, young man, what's your pitch limit per game? And he goes 85 to 90. And I'm going, I'm looking at 6'4", 225-pound Tommy Hunter can only go 100. And this kid, 5'11", 185, 90, his max is like 90 or something, you know, just a big – and I'm going, you know, these guys, they, they don't let them pitch down in the minor leagues. Why we're seeing five-inning pitchers in the big leagues is because that's what we're developing in the minor leagues. And I get it health-wise and everything else. But 
there's a lot of guys on the IL in the big leagues that are pitchers. Okay. So why not let them find out if they can go 120, 125 pitches? Find out if they can pitch when they're tired. Find out if they can pitch when they don't have their good stuff. Yeah, it's just, um, and you look at relievers, and I'm, I'm switching gears to relievers. You know, if you pitch two innings, one night you've got two nights off. But when you get to the big leagues, you know, it's it's not the try-hard league, it's the do-good league, okay? When you get to the big leagues, you do good. If you don't, nothing personal, but you're gone, and next guy up, okay? So you have to pitch two, three days in a row in the big leagues. You've never done it before in the minor leagues. How effective do you, do you think you can be? Uh, it's, it, you know, and I probably shared these, Mike, last year I had uh, a kid I saw twice, once in double A, get taken out with a no-hitter, and he had 70 pitches after five innings. And then in triple A, uh, 74 pitches after five innings with a no-hitter. And, you know, it was a big, strong guy. He's healthy. His stuff hadn't gone down. And, I, it, like, like you're absolutely amazed when you watch these things and you just go, what, what are we doing here? Because I get it. We're trying not to have injuries. We have more injuries than we've ever had. So the, it, it, it's not working. Maybe we ought to re-look re, re at everything and figure some things out. Yeah, I, I agree. Well, you know, it's it's um, uh, the money invested in some of these young players. You know, three, four million dollars. I, I get that part of it, but if you don't, if they don't learn how to pitch, you're going to end up with a guy that's going to go five innings max in the big leagues, and his stuff really never develops, and also his pitching mind no. never develops. He doesn't know and how to get through tough innings. Yeah, the the third time through. How do you know if you can't get through it if you're never allowed to even try to get through it? It's well, you know, it's, it's like training for a marathon by running a few sprints. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And and you know, going to a lineup three times, you know, look at it from the hitter standpoint. Also, if you get a guy, you strike a guy out the first two times up. Okay, now what's he thinking about the third time up? Probably, I hope I don't strike out. Yeah. You know, so, you know, it, it's in reverse, too. So I, I just don't get it why these guys can't let – and I get it because of the money and injury situation and everything else. But like you said, Willie, it's not working very well. We're, we're just developing five and six inning pitchers tops. I've got and a number. We'll have as many injuries as ever. Yeah, exactly. there's a number for you guys to chew on. $3 billion were spent on injured pitchers since 2015. So with all this precaution taken on in Major League Baseball, the analytics, you know, softening the pitchers, it's obviously not working by the numbers. $3 billion spent on injured pitchers. It's, it's amazing to me. Um, you know, don't even have to know the numbers. We, we see how many injuries there are, how much time's lost. We see guys pitching. You know, Will made a good comment. He said, you know, I see a kid, he's got 78 pitches in. And uh, he's got a one hitter going. He struck out every guy, hasn't walked a guy. Well, you can't treat that guy the same way as a guy that's pitching with his hair on fire, that's max effort, that's behind everybody. Even if he has the same number of pitches, the effort 
energy that he's expelled, you know it's going to get worse because he doesn't he hasn't developed he, control of his effort. He hasn't developed a good delivery. He can't command the ball, and then he and he doesn't have feel. So when you find a guy that does have feel, are you going to cut Maddox short at five innings? Because because you know some other Yahoo you got on your team is throwing the ball all over the backstop, and you're both under the same rules. I mean, come on, that's that's people that don't know. That's people that are sitting at a computer trying to figure things out and don't have any feel for watching it. Yeah, it's co- it, it, it's cookie cut baseball. Everybody has the same delivery. Everybody has the same approach. Everybody has the same batting stance. Uh, you know, each guy's an individual. Let's let's develop an individual program to make each guy the best guy they could be with what their God given and capabilities are. Okay, guys. You know, I I was you guys are kind enough to invite me on, and I checked. Um, my I still have some pitching records from back when I was with the Mariners, okay? And I'm going to start with Randy Johnson. His pitch limit, he, when he started to get tired, was 135 pitches, okay? <laughs> okay, wait, wait, yeah, yeah. Uh, Eric Hansen, he, he had pretty good delivery, everything else. He was like 125 to 130, same as Brian Holman. I mean, this is 125 to 130. Then wow. you want to be concerned about where he's at. And the, the fifth starter on the club, Rich DeLucia, <clears throat> he was a rookie. We let him go 115, 120. Then that, that, that was right. it. Okay. Right. I've never once mentioned 75, 80, 90 pitches. It's always been 115 on up. And with Johnson with 135 pitches, sometimes he was just getting loose. So we'd let him go. Right. No. You know, I... well, there's another thing that, that, that isn't done. I think we brought it up on other shows. You know, your pitches per inning, you know, like if you have a long inning, that's not like the end of your outing. That doesn't mean you just shorten the outing by two more innings because the guy had one long inning. You watch him and you see now if he has two long innings, then you the leash is shortened dramatically. But a lot of times a guy will have a long inning, pitch 28 pitches or so, and he never has that a long inning again the rest of the game. So he's right on track. Matter of fact, he may have a six-pitch inning and catches up, and he's almost the same. So it seems like nobody looks at that. It seems like everybody tells me, well, where's his pitch count? I said, well, he hasn't thrown any pitches since that first inning. Don't worry about it. His yeah. rhythm's good. He's throwing good. You know, it's like nobody nobody is trusted to make those in-game decisions no. anymore. No. No, I, I had an organization that uh, I actually saw two of their starters in a in a four game or five day period where uh, if their starter threw more than twenty five pitches in an inning, they took them out. And so I had the uh, two of their really good prospects. I only saw throw an inning because yeah. they threw like twenty seven pitches, and uh, I can tell you both of them are knocking on the door in the big leagues with, with that organization and they've both had arm surgery. So that didn't work. That's amazing. That's amazing. Okay. Mike, uh, you know, when you went to Mexico and became strictly a starter, you know, and had tremendous success. What are, what are those things you, you learned in Mexico that you might've not been able to learn in the States? 
Well, number one, um, Mexico was just like the big leagues. It was it wasn't a try hard league. It was a do good league, and I was one of the guys down there was making more money because I was an import, and they were paying me because of my major league career and everything else. They were paying me okay. They gave me the ball. They expected me to win. And it didn't matter if I was feeling good that day or feeling bad. It was my turn. I had to go out there. And a lot of times it was on three days rest, and especially in the playoffs. But it was – you just had to go out there and you had to find a way to get through eight, nine innings. Now, I'm not talking about five or six innings. It was eight, nine innings. I had a lot of complete games down there. Some of them were pretty ugly, but my manager – He'd leave me out there because I was the guy. So you, it, it became more, not so much physical, but it was just a, a mental aspect to it to where I've got to get through this game and I've got to figure out a way, even though I don't have good stuff, I've got to, and I'm tired. I've got to figure out a way to win. And I, they're going to leave me out here, win or lose. So, you know, it was just a, a good mental exercise for me to be down there. It was just a grinded out mentality, start after start. And that's just that's something that's just lost. You know, we I used to we'd have a guy that would miss uh, he'd miss the whole season virtually, start the season out, and it really maybe wasn't even an arm issue, maybe it was a leg thing or something, and he was back throwing by the end of the you know the last month, and I'd made the suggestion you might want to go to winter ball to get the reps in and be ready for spring training next year. We battled often. The guys didn't want to go. Their agents didn't want him to go. Everybody was afraid they were going to get hurt. I go, the guy was hurt all year. When's he going to pitch? You know? Well, you know, uh, I've talked to, and and you're starting to see, they started the Arizona Fall League so kids could play here in the States against elevated competition. But now the top prospects aren't going because they're afraid they might get hurt. So we're not going to let guys play in player development because they might get hurt. Pretty soon, we're, are we not going to play in the big leagues because people might get hurt? Yeah. You know, you, you can't play God. And honestly, I wish they'd do away with the Arizona Fall League and toughen guys up and let them go pitch in winter ball where it isn't the try-hard league. you got to go win and compete and do well. Well, you know, it's all backing. You know, uh, an organization that would have uh, the, the, the owner, the president, the general manager, the manager, and everybody was on the same page, and they said, you know what? We're not going to worry about him getting hurt. We have people that are qualified to be coaching him down there. We're going to ask guys to throw three innings, I mean, three games in a row as relievers. We're going to ask our starters when they're when they're throwing and they're on a roll, we're just going to let them go and we'll let our eyes tell you whether to take them out. You have to have that from the top down or it'll never happen. You know, like we'll never get those guys back from doing that. I would love to see – one organization do that, and I'll guarantee you they won't have any more injuries than anybody else. And you know what? They won't be wearing their bullpens out either. And probably they would have less injuries. I would think. I yeah. would think my experience tells me that. Yep. You know, my, my experience in winter ball initially in, in Venezuela and Puerto Rico 
was uh, I was in the big leagues, but I didn't pitch a lot. Maybe pitched a hundred innings uh, a year in the big leagues. Maybe I rode the AAA shuttle up and down. Anyway, I would go to Puerto Rico or Venezuela to get an extra eighty or hundred innings in. So when I came into spring training, I was still competing for a job. Nothing was given to me, so I wanted to get off to a very good start in spring training <clears throat> and then make the club again. Uh, Mike, you said 100 innings. It would be, oh, God, we got to shut Mike down now. He's thrown 100 innings. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, so I threw 100 in the big leagues, 100 in winter ball. It gave me 200 for the year, 12 months. Yeah, exactly. Know, what's that? That's now you feel like you've done something. What's, that, what's the kid that led the baseball with 200 and some innings in Miami this year? Uh, Alcantara. Alcantara. You know, I look and he has more complete games than anybody else and everything. He, I'll bet you he fights all the time not to come out of games. He might oh, be the only guy in baseball that does that. It's old I'm sure George. he does. I'm sure he does. Mark, I got a Will George story for you. I'm going to interrupt here a little bit. Uh, 1982, Will? Will Three. was in the Florida State League. Yeah, yep. And then he threw 200 and some innings in a 140-game season. So there you go. Mike, I had a, a game – well, I got released at the beginning of spring training by the Tigers, and I was on an independent league team, and I had John Tamargo, who was a first-year former player manager, and I pitched the game in Fort Myers. I lost one to nothing in 14 innings. I threw a complete game, <laughs> and I threw 139 pitches. That's that's pretty uh, efficient. That's very efficient. Yep. I, uh they, they had a real aggressive club. I had a good sinker and a change-up. We were playing on that AstroTurf at that old Terry Park field over there in Fort Myers. And, you know, Tamargo goes, how you feel? I go, I'm fine. You know, yeah. <laughs> you know so. Uh, when your rhythm's right, when you're on a flow and your timing, yeah. it's not as much of an effort as people might think it is. No, no. I You know, you, you, you get into a rhythm – and you throw strikes and you change speeds and everything. You have feel for everything. My gosh, that's a joy. That's a joy to go pitch and compete. That sounds like common sense pitching to me, Bill. Will. Yeah, yeah, it is. Mike, I have a question for you. I've got a question. And then Mark, I'll pass. I know you got a story with them. I, uh, we've got a big audience here, 42 countries listen, uh, all the way from grassroots to front offices. What would be your message to, to young kids out there that are starting to become pitchers in terms of, uh, you know, things like long toss and uh, mechanics? Any, any little tidbit message you can give those kids that are just starting off in pitching right now to help them develop the mentality that you three obviously have? Yeah, you know, um, I did a lot of Joe Madden's winter camps in uh, Mesa, Arizona for about 14, 15 years when Joe was – a minor league coach and instructor in the angel organization. Anyway, we had groups of 16 to 18 year olds, but we also had the 13 to 15 year olds. And with the 13 to 15 year olds, uh, I'm dating myself a little bit, but I would always talk to the kids about, okay, I have a shaving rule. How many of you young men, 13 to 15, how many of you have started to shave? And one or two would raise their hands and the rest wouldn't. Okay. I said, well, I have, I have what I call the shaving rule. If you're not old enough to shave, your muscles and bones, tendons, ligaments have probably not developed enough to throw a breaking ball. 
So my suggestion to you would be learn a very good changeup, and I've got some grips I can show you, young people, and go fastball changeup. And I guarantee you that you'll have pretty good success at that level with the fastball and a changeup. And all the parents came up afterward and they go, oh, thank you for saying that because we've been telling our young man forever, just don't throw a breaking ball yet because you don't know how. And the kids, you know, that at that age, they're just not, I, I see it nowadays where they're throwing breaking balls at 14 years old, 15. And if it's, if it's a good delivery, it's fine. If and most of them aren't. So for my okay. tip would be for the young men, 13 to 15, go fastball change up. And then when you get a little older and your muscles and bones have developed enough to withstand the rigors of throwing a breaking ball, find a good instructor and learn how to throw a correct breaking ball. I love it. I love it. Mark, yeah. I interrupted you. You were going to tell a story too. Oh no, I was just, I was, uh, I was getting a bike with my uh, winter ball story. I was in Venezuela and I was pitching against Diego Segui, um, who was a, really good major league pitcher at the time. And uh, the game just continued on and on and on. And I, I don't, I would never know how many pitches I threw, but uh, I had a teammate on the other, uh, a friend who played for the team I was pitching against. Uh, we'd been friends for years. And so the game went on and on. And we went to the ninth inning, the 10th inning, the 11th inning. And Diego came out of the game after 11 innings and I stayed in the game and my friend every inning would hold up a, like a card with the inning on it. <laughs> every time I went out there, like 12, 13, 14, 15, I went into the 15th inning. And the funny thing, Ozzy Virgil was our manager. And I can't remember how it ended up. I had a guy at third with less than one out. I mean, less than two outs. And he came out and got me because there was a left-handed hitter up and brought in Gary Lavelle, who was a very good major league reliever and uh, ended up losing the game. Uh, pitching into the 15th inning, I told Ozzy after the game, I said, what did I do? Did I look like I was getting tired? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? right. right. <laughs> but it was one of those games where I had really good rhythm and timing. I had a really good sinker. I don't suppose I threw – I'll bet I didn't throw 120 pitches in there 15 minutes. Yeah, I would think. Wow. I don't know, but I I, I wouldn't think I, I threw very many pitches. Anyway, let's move to, uh, you know, you had a, you know, you had a long career everywhere as a player, as a coach, as a scout. Now you had a segment of your career where you were an advanced scout for like over ten years for different teams. What was the most important thing that you you passed on to the to your parent club? You know, when you went out to see clubs. Yeah. Um... You know, Mark, back back then, uh, I had to chart every pitch. There was no video of most of the games. <clears throat> Radar was hard to come by, so didn't really get velos too much other than average fastball, above average fastball, below average fastball. You know, and basically, that's all the hitters wanted to know. Does he throw hard? No. Okay, good. I got it. That's all they needed to know. So other little things like um, – an outfielder, if he moved laterally, especially a center fielder, could you take the extra base on him? You know, those type of things a third base coach would like to know. So he could go I go, go from first to third or from second to home, those type of things. Um, pitchers, um, were they slow to the plate? 
Were they quick to the plate? You know, th those type of things that they wanted to know. Uh, obviously, there were uh, the hit and runs, the bunts, the situations, the counts they were in. You would keep track of that when when they did those things. And normally it was even or ahead in the count when they would start the runner. So uh, those type of things, really. Um, other than that, who's hot and who's not. Um, but nowadays, everybody's got that info, so it's all the same to everybody. Well, you didn't use a lot of statistics and analytics to in your advancing? I did not, no, because there weren't many available. It was just, uh, you know, this guy's got a long swing or he's got a nice compact stroke, that type of thing, you know. So what do you do with that, you know? If he's you know, got a long stroke, you can go hard in, hard in, hard in, because he's got a long swing. If you've got a short yeah. compact stroke, then you have to use both sides of the plate and keep the ball down. You know, uh, I I think the more you watch the game, the more it tells you what the analytics tell you just by watching it. Like I get angry when I look at all the guys that in the dugout now because they have the iPads, they don't watch the game, what's going on out there. Um, you know, they're going back and re replaying their at-bat to see if they pulled off or see if the umpire missed a pitch or whatever. You know, uh, when you watch the game, it tells you what to do, I think, all the time. And it tells you who's hot, who's not. You can watch, see who's on time and their barrel's in the zone and it's staying through it and who's tardy and who's not. So, but it looks prettier on those spreadsheets with all the blue and red zones and every other thing they have now. You know, sometimes you can get paralysis by analysis. I mean, yep. some of these younger players – you, you can overload the memory with these guys, a the memory bank, and they're not going to know what the heck's going on. It's more confusing than anything. It's it's the old keep it simple, stupid theory sometimes. You know, it's, that's all it is. That's, well, yeah. that's, it's, it's like taking an SAT before every game. You know, yeah. with the, like I, I, I talked to some A-ball managers, and can you imagine being a 20-year-old kid, 19, 20, and A-ball? And having a 45-minute to an hour-and-a-half thing every day before the game with all this data that you're trying to digest, you're a different hitter. You have pitchers that are very inconsistent. So what, what are you telling me, you know, you know that this guy is going to do this? He can't even throw strikes, half of them, in A-ball. But you're clouding their mind with so much stuff. How do you just go up and react and hit and play? Interesting. You know, Will, um, sometimes I'll, when I – back then I was sitting in the stands in the A-ball, you know, talking to some of the pitchers. And a lot of Hispanic kids, they didn't have a real good grit, grasp of the English language. So I'm talking to them in Spanish a little bit. Right. And, and – You've got these meetings where everybody's speaking English, obviously. Right. And these kids, they, they it just they don't comprehend, and it's no fault of their own. They just got there; they're 19 years old. They came out of the Dominican Summer League, and it's. I tough. think that's why. I think that's why a lot of the better hitters are young Latin kids who really don't understand all the stuff that they're talking about. They just go out and hit. Yeah, see it, center so, it, and smoke it. That's all. You know, you know, Guerrero Junior. and. 
Acuna and Soto. I mean, those guys, they just see it and hit it. You know, they're not, they're not worrying about the percentages at this pitch and that pitch. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot to digest, you know? Uh, it, it, so. Well, when you give people jobs to do those, run those numbers and do those things, they've got to try to justify their existence. Right. Right. Or they just pile on thinking they're doing a better job with the more information they get, you know, uh, of course they're not accountable to what happens on the field. Right. You know, it's, it's just, they're justifying their existence. Well, I loved what Madden said in that article he did with Verducci not long ago, you know, that, he, you know, you know, give it all to me, but let me be the filter to get it to my players and my coaches so that I can help each individual guy be successful, not have somebody that's never played come in and talk for an hour and a half every day. And I, I, I don't think that's good. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's like what we teach when you teach a pitcher, sometimes you use a bad miss or a pitch that you, you it backed up on you. You use it in right. making a decision of what pitch you're going to throw going forward. You right. know, with with sometimes with analytics, that isn't even taken into consideration. No. You know, that's why good good pitcher pitchers that are veteran pitchers, when you give them an advanced report, they may say, Oh, he's hot, huh? You know, or he's oh, he's chasing that breaking ball in the dirt a lot this series. He never used to do that, but I guess he's in a bad funk. Okay, I could use that. But they pitch you know no advanced reports say don't ever go inside or don't throw this guy a breaking pitch or don't throw him a change. No advanced report says that because guys have to make their own choices to see how it plays out. Well, you know, we all worked for the Rockies and we had a starting pitcher uh, who I think's with the Rangers now that pitched away all the time with a great arm. And I remember one night you and I were texting back and forth, Mark, and he threw a backup slider and broke a, bat in half after giving up six runs in the first three innings, throwing everything away. And I go, do you think he'll actually realize that he can go in on some people? And no, he didn't. He got knocked out the next inning, staying away, away, away. You know, it's, it's, it's amazing to watch. Yeah. You know, two, two things about that. Number one, when I was a long time ago, when I was in the big leagues as a pitching coach, I never used the word don't. Right. In other words, if I always individualized every like before the game, you go over, take the starting pitcher and the catcher and you go over a lineup. Well, a lot of times you have to simplify it for one guy. Yeah. Another guy, you could lengthen out your 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 thoughts on this certain a lineup where you could right. say, hey, you can do this, you can do that, but do it, you know. And as far right. as the word don't, it's like you don't throw him inside. No, 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 no. Right. You go in for effect to get him out of the way. You're not. You're telling him you can use both sides of the plate, but just go in for effect and then get him out of the way. And it makes more sense than don't throw this guy inside. Yeah. No. It's a. You know. Uh, I my rookie ball manager told me don't hang this breaking ball. <laughs> <laughs> you guys. You guys know what happened. Yeah. And then, and then when I got to instructional league, Ray Miller said, you know, from now on, you know. You know, don't don't do something is not the word you ever want to hear. You always want to hear how am I going to be? Mark talks about it all the time. Hey, can you throw a good two seamer here? Yep. Okay, let's go. Let's go get it. 
There you go. Simple. Positive feedback. Yeah. Here, here, here's my last question for you, Mike. Go um, ahead. What do you think the biggest diff- difference maker was when you were scouting for a trade? You know, what did you dig into about a player to determine whether he'd be good for your club or not? Well, if we were hot after a guy, <clears throat> it was makeup number one because I already saw what he could do on the field, basically. Yeah. It was yeah. makeup number one for me. And a lot of times <clears throat> these were lesser trades, like we uh, we got Charlie Culberson from the Giants or uh, a middle infielder that they needed, and Charlie Culberson was a uh, AAA player. Well, I looked at him, and I, I saw him play a couple different positions in the infield, and I saw him one time go to the outfield, and I was talking to one of their pitchers, and I said, hey, Charlie Culberson, this guy looks like he's okay. What kind of guy is he? And they go, oh, no, no, he's good guy. He's a good guy. You know, yeah. other times I would say, hey, so-and-so, you know, he looks like he's he can play the game a little bit. What do you think about him? Eh, not much. And then yeah. stop right there. Well, that told me, well, this guy, I don't know. His teammates don't seem to care for him too much. So I don't know if we really want that guy. I think that's why nobody lets their pitchers in the stands to chart him. <laughs> <laughs> we used to get a lot of good information from. Yeah, I've been out of it for about three, four years, Will, but I get, I get it. Yeah, I used to talk. Wow. About yeah, and 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 I really think that they should be up in the stands. I think there's something about watching the game from straight behind, being a pitcher, that really makes you digest some things pretty well. But uh, I also understand the organization when, you know. Uh, you know, what do you think about so and so? Oh, he's kind of a jackass. <laughs> right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. He was on the bubble for me. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And you know the big guys. I mean, I, I looked at Carlos Gonzalez for years in Double yeah. A, and he didn't hit very well. He was a twenty-year-old in Double A, and then I'd follow his stats when I moved to Triple A, and I'd see his stats creep up, and I go, okay. You know, he, he's, he's adjusting to the league is all, you know, yeah. they, they, those type of things. But he was, you know, he's a special guy and everybody knew what he could do yeah. physically. But, you know, yeah. you see him hit 230 in double in A in June and then at the end of the year he's hitting 290, same league. Well, he adjusted to the league, you know. So yeah. those things you kind of keep track of. Yeah, You know, we've always seen those guys that have physical stuff from – we thought they'd end up being better than they thought we, than, than they were. And, uh, you know, so much of that is heart and determination and all the things we talked about, you know, uh, guys that want to work. I mean, some guys get there and uh, they're just happy to be there. Yeah. You know, a, lot, a lot of your big money guys too. It's it, for me, a lot of these kids, it's a sense of entitlement. Okay. I'm in double a this year. I'll go to triple a next year. Well, well, wait a minute, young man, you hit you hit 220 in double A. You're going back to double A. They, yeah, don't, they don't understand that. Yeah, you know? those those 21-year-old, and they're, yeah, they're talented. But, boy, when you give them $300 million, some stupid stuff happens afterwards. And that entitlement and that same energy you used to see, you stop seeing, is scary in this industry. Yeah. I was I was with clubs where guys didn't have it, didn't make any money and then they signed their first big contracts. I'm sure you ran into that, Mike. And all of a sudden, that guy 
that guy turned into a, uh, an expert on every subject. Yeah, right. Unbelievable. Right. The guy right. that was like the nicest, best guy. And some of them, they, they settled back in after about a year. But the first year they signed the contract, all of a sudden they knew more than the manager. They knew more than the general manager, the owner. They knew more about cars, computers, the stock market than everybody else. It was freaking unbelievable. Yeah, maybe that's maybe that's why I don't know anything. I've never made that kind of money. Yeah, we need to get you some money. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring up one more example. Um, Reggie Jackson, I, I pitched against him in college, and he he hit me pretty good in the big leagues. And then his last year in the big leagues, he was the uh, DH in Oakland. And he said, "You know what kept me going in New York is I had to be relentless for success." He said, I yep. go three for four Tuesday, Wednesday, I go 0 for four, and they're booing the hell out of me in New York. He said, I had right. to be relentless for success. Yep. You just couldn't sit back on what you did Tuesday. You had to do it again on Wednesday. That's right. Made like a lot that. of that's, sense. A great, that's a great message for our kids out there. Kind of a, a great way to, to close the show. Mike, you gave us almost an hour today. We put you on overtime, but it goes back to what you said about pitching, right? That 135 pitching limit, Randy Johnson had going out there. Uh, you have that obviously with your interview status yeah. today. I've got one question. I, I, I want to kind of, we've talked a lot about makeup today, whether it would be in pitchers or prospects or hires. It's been a common theme. You obviously have a great, great makeup as an individual. You, you spent 53 years in the game and your company with Will and Mark, who I, I love their guests when they bring them on. You're the oldest son of seven, uh, the son of, of uh, George and, and Teresa. Your dad was a police officer. What kind of lessons did they instill in you as a young kid to help create what we see today? Enjoy what you're doing. Have fun doing it. When you're a young player in high school, a teenager, have fun playing the game. You know, it's not the end of the world. If you lose a game, go in, take a shower, wash it off, and go out the next day and start fresh again, but enjoy the game. It's a great game. Enjoy it. Well, I love Great that. Advice. Great advice. Yep, a lot of these kids are married to their, throw, I won't even call them pitching coaches, throwing coaches and swing coaches nowadays, and it's become a, a job, and they forgot it's become a game. So, Mike, we thank you so much for coming on. You were phenomenal. Mark and Will, great show as usual. Uh, we're in our eighth installment of comment, of uh, Day at the Yard, Common Sense Pitching with Wiley and Will. Uh, guys, thanks again, and we'll look forward to next week. Thanks, Mike. Really appreciate Thank it, you, buddy. Mike. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Dave. Yeah. Great job, enjoyed, Mike. Enjoyed you guys having me on. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Hello, Mike.